Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned what is debt service coverage ratio, what counts as assets, and what are deal killers when getting a commercial loan. And in this episode, we are continuing our learning journey into commercial lending. And we're going to be focusing on a few asset classes. And we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of each loan under each asset class. We are interviewing Billy Brown. He is the vice president of business development for Alternative Capital Solutions. He has been in the mortgage lending industry for several years, and he focuses on real estate investors. He is a commercial investor himself, which is a very important quality for a lender to have. He also speaks very fast, and he is giving us a lot of golden nuggets. So I encourage you to be fully present during this interview and sit down and take notes. We are breaking down this interview into two parts because there's a lot of good information here and he will also cover some strategies on getting our loans or selling the properties after you get the specific loan, etc. And as always, we have the full transcription of the entire interview on our website, so you can always read through that. Here we go. Billy, thank you so much for being here with us today. We actually just met over a syndication event over the weekend. It was really interesting when you were talking, you were one of the speakers. I learned that there are some loans out there that are assumable, meaning that the next buyer can take over that loan. However, they cannot get another loan on top of that loan, which can be a big consequence for everyone because of prepayment penalties and many other things. So today, I would love to hear first a little bit more about you and what have you been up to, and then we'll review a few different loan options that are available in the market. That sounds great. And I was so excited to meet you, excited to be on your podcast here and help educate your followers and listeners. I will tell you right off the bat, I am different than most any other lender out there because I'm also an investor. I call myself an investor first and a commercial lender second, even though my day job is a commercial lender. We are active in the marketplace. I encourage your investors themselves to go find lenders that actually are doing what they want to go do because it makes it a lot easier to communicate with those people versus just an order taker. My wife and I just syndicated an 82-unit apartment complex in Lexington, Kentucky. We are within a couple of days of closing on an office space up in her hometown of Wisconsin. And then we've got our hooks into another property here locally, another smaller multifamily. 
hopefully close that by the end of the year if the sellers are open to our offer. That's the side gig there. And then obviously after the syndication conference, that was quite a bit of information that I provided for folks on basically reaccessing equity, what I call lazy equity in their portfolio, which you can talk about today and repositioning that for going to larger assets. I'm a generalist when it comes to my personal investing. And as far as lending here as well, we help investors basically maximize ROI. So if you got, hey, I'm going to do multifamily and then I'm going to do some office, I'm going to do some you know, self-storage we'll talk about here in a little bit. We can handle this for them. We're not pigeonholed into a certain lending bucket. How uh, my day job works, we reverse engineered lending where normally you'd go to your bank guy and they go, hey, Mr. Banker, I've got this. And they scratch their head and they do some pencil and they go, oh, we can do this or can't do this. And then you find out two weeks later, they can't go do it. And you got to start it over. What we do is we actually fully underwrite the loan request on the front end with our underwriters. And then we sit down and help strategize with our clients a way to maximize ROI, return on investment. And we like infinite, by the way. We love doing infinite. And then we put that plan in place and we execute that plan. And then what we do is we fund that loan amongst our many lending partners, both in depository, institutional, non-depository, et cetera. It saves a lot of time because you know exactly what you're looking for in the front end. And the lender that raises their hand and wants to go work with you knows what you expect and what you're looking for. Excited to be here, excited to share and ask away. Why don't we go over maybe three or four loan options and the pros and cons of each one of them? Because it is important to know what the cons are so all the investors can decide what is best for them and their business plan when they're purchasing a property. Absolutely. I love the way you phrase that as the pros and cons, because when people are loaning you money, that is cheaper than equity. So there's always some kind of caveat there because they want to protect their investors when they go loan money. There's a few cons on each one of these things. I'm going to go over basically five options here. The first one is if you have a bunch of rentals, four, five, six of them, they've got Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac lending on them, and they're getting a little frustrated with how more difficult it's becoming to go get that sixth one or seventh one. And they're about to what we call Fannie and Freddie out. They may see the cash flows are good. There's some equity in there that's lazy, and they want to access that. And um, there's a way to go do that. It's called cross-collateralization. So just think of ease of use. You got four properties. You have one loan on each one of those properties. So you got to manage four mortgages, four insurance payments, four property managers or whatever. What we then do is take that into one loan and we can go up to 75% of the appraised value. And if it's big enough then we can do what's called non-recourse lending. If it's not big enough, then you go recourse lending. And recourse is basically your personal guaranteeing the loan. So if the loan goes bad, if the tenants move out and you can't subsidize it yourself with your own cash flow, and the lender has to sell it, if the loan is not made whole, they come after you personally. That's never a good thing. Most of these smaller loans are recourse loans. And for the most part right now, as we're in a good economy, it's okay because you're feeling pretty good about your probabilities of keeping those tenants in there. Most professional investors go into non-recourse lending because they're not personally liable if that loan goes bad. Now, the difference here is on the non-recourse side, you are the borrower. Something happens, then you're basically going to get the property back and everyone's made it made square. And you're like, hey, that's a great idea. I don't have to worry about this thing. Well, there's some caveats here. Here's the bad part of it. I always like to get the bad first and then the good. So the bad part of it is... I like that too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, that sounds great, Billy. Like, <laughs> what's the catch? Catch on these things that are typically more expensive because it takes more money to go through and securitize these things. That's what they're done. They're securitized loans. So they're packaged up, sold off to a hedge fund on Wall Street, and there you go. So depending on your flavor of your positive or negative thinking of Wall Street, then you might not want that. 
There's also prepayment penalties on these. They're usually pretty hefty. How many years are there for the prepayment penalty? Is it for the entirety of the loan? No. So it's not like multifamily where there is a defeasance or yield maintenance or whatever. The prepayments are usually limited to the first three or five years. Usually the first two are pretty heavy in like the 5% range. And it drops down significantly after that. So by year three or four, you're down to one or 2%. If you have eight or 10, they can go up to 30 or 40 loans on these things. If you want to sell one of them, it is very difficult to release the collateral. It's not impossible, but it is very difficult to go do. Probably the third one that most people are a little hesitant on is because the lender wants to make sure that there's no risk in that loan going bad, the only way to jump that loan is if you don't pay taxes. So both your taxes and insurance are going to get escrowed. Now to me, I don't care because that's one less thing I have to be worried about is all escrowed in one payment. Money goes in, they pay everything for me, send me the profits, I'm good. It's very, very easy. Now, the good part of these things, they're very low documents. They're 30-year amortized loans, and they're very easy to go do. So they really just revolve around the asset themselves. And if you have enough properties in the same area, then many times you don't need full appraisals. They'll do a handful of full appraisals. They'll do a handful of what's called drive-by appraisals, and then they'll do a handful of just desktop appraisals. And that's how they determine value. Now, obviously, you want the most value there. You want to do full appraisals, assuming your properties are good. If your tenants have wrecked their properties a little bit, then maybe you don't want them to go in their, in their property. But we help you out there. These are very in, much investor-friendly type loans. That would be a loan for the, I call it the newer investor, where they've got a lot, starting to accumulate some properties and want to access that equity and go, go step up. So that equity is unrestricted. So they do where, what do they want to with it on the recourse or non-recourse side of things. We call that a portfolio loan. They're cross-collateralized. All that means is they're tied into, into one loan across multiple different properties. Now on the office, this one is kind of one of those asset classes that's kind of under the radar. And most people shy away from this thing because the lending isn't as great as the multifamily world. Just because the tenant in this case really determines what type of lending you can go do, as well as the size. And I should say that to your, your listeners as well, the size of the loan matters. $500,000 loan is actually harder to go get than a $5 million loan. So a little bit of flip on the, the idea like, oh, I'll start small and move up. It's actually easier to go with the bigger stuff. On the office, your tenant and the length of the lease determine what type of lending you go get. If you have a single tenant, let's say it's a barbershop, and they sign a one-year lease, it's going to be very, very difficult to go get lending for you. That's going to be more of a depository banking type loan. It's going to be very low loan to value, and they're going to have some restrictions on the cash flow. They're going to get paid first, called treasury management before you can go release that. And it has some restrictions on what type of reserves you're going to get. Let's just say it's a, like the one we're buying, it's called a triple net lease with a larger national financial institution where the tenant pays the taxes, insurance, all maintenance, everything. And they sign a long lease, then you can get some better terms out there. And many times it's going to be 20 year amortized loans, lower interest rates, anywhere from almost like a prime minus situation. Wow. And if it's a large enough deal, you can actually get on recourse. If your listeners are listening, um, interested in office, do a lot of research because the lease matters, the tenant matters a lot in this case. The cool thing about, well, I mean, really offices and warehouses is the leases can be tweaked so much so that if there's a bill back for what's called the common area maintenance, CAM, you can increase net operating income in OI which makes the property more valuable. And that can be just done inside the lease. So if you have a really good leasing manager, 
that can really help you out and create more cash flow. And I've got a friend here, Tyler Cobble, that wrote a book on leasing, both the owner-occupied type deal and an investor, you know, what to, what to look for there. I read the book before I bought this office complex. Learned a lot from the guy. Do research on these things if you're, if you're interested in those. Now, I mean, honestly, as an investor, if you have a triple net lease on an office, it's basically an ATM. Now, you're going to probably not get as much cash flow from it because the longer the lease, the larger the institution buying it, the lower your cap rate, the lower your cash flow. So you're not going to be balling on cash with, with something like that, but it's a steady stream. So this office loan applies to retail as well? Yes. Okay. Yep, same thing. The strength of strength of the tenant determines the the strength of the loan. I'll caveat that by saying that the borrower has to have some kind of clout behind it and has some financial wherewithal. One of your previous guests alluded to that. If you're newer, partner with somebody who's more experienced. Despite what we're told in America that you should do everything on your own, it's actually better to partner with somebody more experienced to learn and have a better understanding of how things work when, not if, when things go wrong. Because so I'm going through this right now, the office thing. It was literally a straightforward deal. And even the straightforward deals were not straightforward. Your own loan that you were doing was not that straightforward. No, not at all. Because as things come out with environmental issues and all that, it's crazy. That's a whole other podcast. The 25 ways Billy screwed up his own deal. As he screwed up, but uh, I made it more difficult than it should have been. I'm actually going to get a really good deal on it. There's no perfect transaction. There's no perfect loan. There's no perfect loan process. You've got to have a team in your corner that can help guide you and help steer the ship as you're going through those turbulent waters. The right lender can actually help you prevent you making mistakes. Sometimes we feel like the underwriter is the one that's trying to sabotage your deal. Like, you know, they're the evil person. This person should not buy anything and it's a lot of money. And no, that's not the truth. They have to lend money and they just want to make sure that everything's in place and you're not getting too far out of your skis, which is good. And so far, you talk about assumability on those things. And usually your assumability on your loans comes on the non-recourse side and that gets into a higher conversation, more of a PhD level as far as the, the strategies there. But assumability is an exit strategy as far as lending. And even some of these things, we've actually had some unique lending opportunities where you do a, instead of buying a property, you buy the LLC, which uh, you assume the loan because the, the loan is to the LLC. If you're in some high tax states, California, New York, Illinois, those type, or some hefty transfer taxes, then that's a strategy in place as well. If you have a single purpose entity. Could they still not get a second loan on top of that? That is correct. You can't do any kind of seconds most of the time on, on those type of lending. So you have to be aware of the deal and how it cash flows. The last one I'm going to talk about here, I'm going to say it for the last. The best for last or the worst for last? I'm going to say the best for last. I like how you think. I'm going to tease everybody. It's the best one. So you got you to stick around to, to the end as far as like the <laughs> best lending. I even did a newsletter on this one. And then I said, shh, do not read this. Don't tell my boss because I may get fired. I'm going to tell you exactly who the best lender is. <laughs> no kidding. I'm going to tell you flat out, no holds barred. So you got to stick around. The next one we're going to talk about is warehouses. By the way, if you guys haven't figured out as far as the listeners, the type of asset that you're buying determines your loan as does the length of the contract. Give yourself plenty of time when you go do these deals. Don't put together 30-day closes. They ain't going to happen. Because all these things have to have appraisals. And oh, by the way, every commercial appraisal has to have an appraisal review. So this the appraisal process is three weeks. And most lenders do not order the appraisal until it's fully underwritten. So that can be a little bit of time as well. So just be, be cautious there. Warehouses are probably the next best tenant because these guys typically stick around. Once they put in their $100,000, $200,000 equipment and they bolt it to the floor, 
most of the time they don't leave. They'll sign leases and they just keep on staying there because these guys like to work with their hands. They're typically not business people so much and they just don't want to move. It's a pain in the rear to go get these things off the ground unbolted and go find another place, especially warehouses. And the flex space and warehouse space is not something that are really building much anymore. And if you could buy some existing warehouse that's less than what it costs to build new, then you've got a winner. But warehouse spaces, again, much like office, the, the strength of the tenant determines the loan, the strength of the loan, or some kind of gross modified lease. But it works out to where you're a little bit higher cash flow if you've got some better tenants. Around here, if you've got some midsize businesses, like a auto body shop or lawn and garden repair thing or shipping or receiving something or other, they will typically be a little bit more conservative on their lending because they want to see the strength of the tenant. And a lot of times these lenders actually ask for the financials of the tenant. So be prepared there, especially you got a new tenant. Somebody has like a newer business. They may get upset about it. Like, what do you mean my financials? You need to see some strength in your financials to be able to lease to you. Because the last thing I want to do is assign a, you know, a three-year lease and come to find out you're not, you don't pause the cash flow. And then I've got to evict you and that costs money and I'm just wasting my time. Yeah, that's pretty standard in retail as well. You can kind of lump the, the office, warehouse, retail in general in kind of the same buckets as far as your lending options. Because it all determines by the, the strength of the tenant. Newer folks going to be a lot more conservative, lower loan to value versus the triple net larger corporate tenants. When I do these podcasts, I always have my investor hat on. When I'm talking groups of investors, because I am one, I always look at the cash flow. If you get a good deal, it's all in the buy. The lending becomes much easier. So you got to negotiate the right way. And that is something very important from our perspective to deal with someone who thinks like an investor. There are bankers and lenders out there in each little market that are also investors. You just got to know how to interview them. I'm just out there more because we have a higher goal for ourselves and what we want to do. I just have the gift of, of finding lending and putting stuff together. And that's my strategy thing, which is also makes me a great investor. We will continue this interview on our next episode. Billy's contact information is billybrown.me. And his website is also under show notes. Do you know someone who is interested in learning more about commercial real estate investing? Make sure to share this podcast with them. And also with our website, you can now subscribe to our newsletter. The link to our website will be under notes on this podcast. And at the top of the page, you'll be able to subscribe to our newsletter, which will be coming up soon with a lot of very useful information. And I will see you next time.